All right, welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones. We are sitting on the side of a mountain in eastern Kentucky, and we just interviewed Jeff Rochester, who is the CMO of App Harvest. So talk about where we're at and what, what kind of night we had, Logan. Well, this is where we recorded with the New Frontier guys, and I think we might have started something there. Um, we invited Jeff. We kind of gave him the option to either record here or in the studio, and of course, they're like, we want to record out uh, where you guys are. And we were on our way out here and we got a call from their PR person. They're like, hey, um, some of our employees saw where you guys recorded and we're wondering if they could tag along and hang out. Uh, so we just had, we had a full on party. Yeah, we were like, hell yeah. A little bit. Yes. We were like, hell yeah. Why not? Um, we had, yeah, we had a whole, like the App Harvest team. We started selling out. tickets. Yeah. So if you want to come to the next recording, maybe we should do that. Why not? We'll quite see. the venue. Um, so this is our third time recording with App Harvest, though, and each time it just seems to get better and better. Uh, also, because we've all we've improved our setup pretty significantly since recording with Jonathan the very first time yeah. when we set a little snowball mic down in the table and just let the conversation go. Um, so, but each time it's always so fun and so inspiring, and the way they talk about what they're doing here in Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia is, is a lot of fun to listen to and a lot of fun to engage in conversation with. And Jeff is a baller. He's a baller, man. He's he knows baller. his stuff. He worked with the WWE. He's he's a very well versed man, and you yeah. can you can see that in the conversation we have with his stories and and everything we talk about. It's a great conversation. To kind of set kind of the stage on you know what App Harvest is doing and some stats here. Um, they just recently raised another twenty eight million, so they're sitting at about roughly one hundred and fifty million of uh, fundraising, which is massive. Obviously, they need that because of the the infrastructure they're building and the project. Uh, the size of the project they're building, but you know, that's a lot of money for for a Kentucky startup, uh, regardless of no matter how big the project is. So we're proud to have them. You know, we're proud to this. Uh, we're proud that this is our third time interviewing with them. Uh, many more to come, but you know, we really, really, really enjoy sitting down with them to to share their story. It's been cool to kind of. Talk. I want to just touch briefly on the progression of their project since we sat down with them. When we first sat down with Jonathan, they hadn't even broken ground yet, have they? And now, yeah, we're literally probably five miles from the actual greenhouse. That's and if massive. you haven't if you haven't seen the updates on the greenhouse, it is freaking insane. They've installed a couple million dollars worth of LED lights. The Biggest structure light system itself, in the world. Yeah, the structure itself is massive, super impressive, awesome that it's here in Moorhead, Kentucky. Um, it's just so cool because it made sense to do it here with Jeff because we're so close to the farm itself. Um, but it also kind of ties in, you know, this, you're doing it here in, in Appalachia and Kentucky and what better place. And Jeff kind of touches on uh, his experience being here in Kentucky. And yeah. of course me being the Kentucky fan that I am, I'm just all over that. A quote that I pulled uh, from an article here that gives you a, an idea of what's going on here. Um, it says, as far as efficiency, our 60 acre facility will do roughly what 1500, 1800 acres of open field production in California can do. So you're going to have 1,800 acres of production on 16 acres of land, and you get 30 times the yield per acre using 90% less water without the harsh chemicals. So that gives you an idea of the the size of the project and the importance of what you know App Harvest is doing for the environment. It's it's just crazy. It's amazing what's happening here in Kentucky, um, and we're we're so proud that they're here. Yeah, and Jeff spoke a little bit about you know this is a bipartisan effort. This is not you know this climate crisis and this food shortage and everything that we're facing is not a left or right issue. This is something that the world, the globe, Earth is facing, and it was just one of those episodes. I feel like that 
people need to hear right now. This is not, you know, we're heading into election time. This is not something that you can look at and say this is a Republican or Democrat issue. This is a world issue that App Harvest is tackling right here. And it's super inspiring to talk about it. And it also just puts things in perspective of the problems we're dealing with right now and the problems that are kind of looming large if we don't act and, yeah. and implement these solutions that App Harvest is doing. We said it on the last episode, in 50 years, if more people like Jonathan Webb are not building these greenhouses and these companies, we're going to die. We're not going to have food. Like it's life or death, you know, and in 50 plus years, there's not going to be enough food to feed us. Yeah. And, and we'll so get, you know, we'll get into all those quotes and how yeah. it is. It's grim. It really is. Unless we really get behind projects like this, there's not a good outlook for the earth in the next 50 years. So I have no doubt that everyone, especially in this area is rallying behind app harvest to get this project done. Um, but anyway, uh, before we get into this interview, We've just been super excited to keep on doing this, and we feel like we've got a lot of momentum going on. So a couple of things we wanted to highlight before actually diving into this episode. Uh, the KSR Project just launched our first episode on bourbon. Big fan of bourbon, obviously. We sit here and drink drink bourbon, uh, which we, we like to do every now and then. Uh, so that just launched. Super proud of that as a team effort. Nate freaking killed the production. Um, way better than any any of the episodes I've ever edited. So super excited to uh, hear you guys' feedback on that and see what you guys think and hopefully just expand the reach of, of what we're trying to do here at Metal Tech. Um, also, as I'm wearing here, we've got more merch out. Uh, we sold out of the hats the first time we got them. Start off with not very many, but we're looking to keep on uh, sending those hats your guys' way. So please, if you want one, let us know. We would we would be happy to hand deliver it to you, as we mentioned in the last episode. And lastly, uh, just thank you guys for all this momentum we've got going on. We know this is because of you guys sharing and interacting with us. We get a, a lot of DMs from people who are just discovering us and our friends and everyone encouraging us to keep going. And that's seriously what it takes to continue doing this. You know, Evan and I don't make any money doing this. We just do this because we love it. And it means a lot when we get uh, feedback from you guys and encouragement from you guys. Um, so we feel like we've got a lot of momentum right now. We feel like we've got uh, we've hit kind of an inflection point. We've hit record lessons four weeks in a row now. Um, so thank you for doing that. And to keep that momentum going, if you guys could uh, subscribe and rate our podcast and interact with our social, uh, it just means a lot to us, a whole lot. Um, so yeah, we've got we've got so much more coming too. Uh, you know, Big we're time. always brainstorming on how to you know help the community. This this started as a way to just bring more awareness and conversation to the community. We started growing the team. We brought people like Logan and Jake and Nico and and Tom onto the team, and we're just gonna keep growing. Uh, we've got a lot of new projects coming. We've got a lot of ways that you know we're gonna be providing value to the community. And these interviews aren't gonna stop because we need it. We need these kind of conversations, and that's why we exist. Hell yeah! So, let's get into let's it. Let's get the interview. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. We are back on the side of the mountain. And we couldn't stay away. Cave Run Lake. Lake House. It's too good, too good of a view. Man. And we've it got a crowd. It's undisclosed location, but you yeah. just kind of gave that away. Well, okay. they don't know where exactly it is. <laughs> you know, it'll be okay. But we got a crowd tonight, which is fun. First yeah. time we've had a crowd. Uh, but let's, let's dive into uh, Jeff's background here. Jeff, please tell us uh, where you're from, education, and then we'll dive into some professional background as well. 
So first of all, Evan, I am so excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm a guy that grew up in Flatbush in Brooklyn. So I don't think I've ever been to a quote-unquote lake house. Yeah. So thank you for the invite. Absolutely. Uh, so I was born in Barbados in the Caribbean. And I moved to New York when I was very young, like every West Indian. I lived in Flatbush in Brooklyn. And then I ended up going to high school and college in Washington, D.C., Georgetown University. And I did marketing there, marketing and international business. So I've known what I wanted to do in life since I was a sophomore in college. I had a really fun marketing professor. And my vision of the world back then is if you want to run a business, know how to drive consumer demand. If you're driving consumer demand, you're the marketer. So I've always had that insight into business, drive revenue, know how to drive revenue. I did my grad degree at Wharton. And I started my career, and my career has progressively moved through marketing, uh, first with Procter & Gamble, and then in the travel industry with Radisson, and then with Comcast and Showtime, World Wrestling, and then a group called the Nature Conservancy. Yeah. Did you have a personality trait that you think helped you kind of gravitate towards marketing? That's interesting. I had always done student leadership. I was my class president in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, et cetera. So I was that person that, you know, I grew up with this... Uh, principle around lead, follow, or get out of the way. And either, you know, don't sit on the sidelines and complain. If you think you can do it better, raise your hand and get in there. So I've always had a, a sense of uh, determinism. I can create the future. I can create destiny. I can drive an agenda. And so, you know, that for me, that's business, but it's also marketing, brand management, leading products, et cetera. So I've always felt that way since I was young. Yeah. So to back up a little bit, we actually just had an immigrant come on that talked about his journey from the Congo to the U.S. to so talk a little bit about your journey from Barbados to coming yeah, to the United it, States. It, it won't be quite as quite that interesting, <laughs> I suspect, but I actually left Barbados when I was three months old oh, okay. to move to Trinidad. My dad, my parents grew up in the civil service, so my dad and my mother worked for the government. My mom is a teacher. My dad working in international policy. So he went, he moved from Barbados to Trinidad when the Caribbean was trying to create a coalition, like a UN for the Caribbean countries. That didn't work out, and then he moved from Trinidad to the United States to work for the UN. So part of my journey and evolution and what's instilled in my mind is one big world, right? To me, the center of gravity isn't the US, it's not Barbados, it's everything, right? So, you know, as the child of a diplomat, I also went to the UN school for a couple of years. Um, I've always had a sense of interdependence between countries and nations and politics and points of view. Yeah. Uh, I've always had that, and that was instilled in me from an early age. And the other thing that informed me that I love is I went to public and private schools. So I know not, not, not deep uh, uh, poverty or anything, but I know the, the strategy, right? Like lower middle class, middle class, et cetera, because I saw those through my journeys. Yeah. I'm sure that diverse background helps you in the marketing, too, to reach different audiences and empathize with different audiences and, and reach them, right? Yeah, I'm a populist. And what, what's relevant for this conversation, and Jonathan and the App Harvest team and I talk about this all the time, <clears throat> climate change, the environment, these issues are for everybody. And I think at least in the U.S., we've allowed ourselves to A, make this political, and B, make it seem like they're a bunch of, and I don't want to be, I want to be careful with my words here, but, you know, um, when you hear about organics and everyone should eat organics and an organic chicken is four times the cost of a regular chicken that doesn't feel like you're pricing for everybody right so i always worry that some of these conversations can sound esoteric and they can sound fifty thousand feet and they feel narrow versus broad 
And so an ethic I've had from a kid and something I like about App Harvest's narrative is, you know, food and agriculture and these issues are conversations that should be accessible to all. It shouldn't be about a narrow group of the population telling the rest of the population how to live their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So you had briefly mentioned a few of the companies you work with, Comcast, WWE, Radisson, Showtime. I wanted to ask you what you learned from your time at WWE. You know, before we started recording, you had mentioned that you had a hell of a time there and learned a lot. So Talk about what you learned a bit. Yeah, so all those companies are leaders in their own sector, right? When I was yeah. at Showtime, we were competing with HBO. When I was at Comcast, we were competing with Time Warner Cable and a company called TCI at the time. Uh, what I love about uh, world wrestling, number one, Vince McMahon is a genius. And what people fail to appreciate, and you won't know these names, but wrestling as we know it was around in the 50s and the 60s. You had like I Love Lucy, you had Lassie, you had Gunsmoke, all these iconic shows. MASH, they're all gone. Wrestling is last man standing. Why? Because Vince McMahon has known forever how to keep his brand relevant to one of the most fickle audiences in the world, young men, 14 to 21-year-old men. Like, how do you keep their attention, right? Through all the things from, you know, they, they started as regional TV, national TV, pay-per-view, books, novels, graphic novels, uh, theatrical films. Vince has figured out how to keep that brand relevant through changing times. The 70s are very different than today, still a relevant popular brand. How to keep the brand relevant through different kinds of media channels, right? Graphic novels versus regional TV. The best thing he's good at is taking a piece of content and moving it from promotion to PR to editorial. Vince is, you know, I, you look, I worked there. We would do promotions where we would have a press conference on Broadway at the uh, Hard Rock Cafe. So it's a media event, you have 50 press. It's a fan event, there are 400 fans. Same room, same event. We would buy billboards up and down Broadway. So you would stream content from the press event to the billboards. Now it's advertising. He would edit the press conference, turn it into content for the show that night. And then we'd stream audio to mobile phones. So what the hell was it? Was it a press conference? Was it promotion? Was it content? He knows how to take content and storylines and push it through all those things, and, and, and it's seamless. It doesn't feel like now we're talking PR, now we're talking editorial. It's just like one thing. I uh, I never got into WWE, but I have so many friends that did, and it just seems like it's everywhere. It just seems like a thing that's just present and always present and everywhere. And one more shout-out to, to WWE. People forget, he created the XFL. Mm -hmm. He reinvented football. That too. So the sideline female reporters, the zip lines that follow the play up and down, he, when he took the when he did the XFL and, and you guys may be too young to remember this, I mean who brands a guy he hate me right? He was one of the most popular players in the XFL, so uh, Vince has taught us all a few things about marketing. Absolutely. So how did you take those things that you learned from WWE and then transition it into what what's going on at App Harvest? Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll do Nature Conservancy first. Right? Yeah, let's so take, I went, let's, I, let's I went from step first. yeah I went from WWE to Nature Conservancy and back to the point I made earlier. Uh, yes, the American public will listen to a scientist, but you know what? They're going to listen to Kim Kardashian. They're going to listen to Cardi B. They're going to listen to Snooki and the situation, right, from real world. So what I took away from that experience is that as much as uh, the usual suspect evangelists and spokespeople might speak to us intellectually, abandon that, reimagine it, and think about people that people really want to listen to. 
So when I was at Nature Conservancy, we talked about how do we have uh, country music stars talk about climate change? How do you have NASCAR drivers talk about climate change? How do you have Sports Illustrated models talk about climate change? Yes, we want to put a scientist on CNN, but trust me, if you put Giselle Bundichin on CNN, everyone's going to listen, right? And you're smiling, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, so uh, what I took away from Vince is uh, a deep and abiding appreciation for how to make, how to amplify content. And I couldn't think of a group that needs that more than the environmental movement. I, I talk to Jonathan all the time. Environmental groups in this country get about 2% market share of all philanthropy. The philanthropic pie in this country is $400 billion, and the environment gets about 2%. You would think the environment's for everybody. But I, I think we failed to make the argument a mass market topic. So with App Harvest, you know, the thing I love about App Harvest, start with the content. It's compelling food. What's more important than food, right? And so the notion of a brand that's trying to reinvent, optimize agriculture in this country and around the world, powerful storytelling. Jonathan is a good storyteller. Guess what? Guess who's on his board? Martha Stewart. You can't think of a better evangelist for this conversation. She was advocating for farm to table when nobody was talking about farm to table, right? She's the OG of this conversation. And the OG is on our board, which is fantastic. Then you've got a guy like uh, Kevin Johnson. Uh, I don't know if you guys follow pro basketball. He was a point guard, I think, with the Phoenix Suns, African-American, made it good in basketball, then went on to be mayor of Sacramento. He knows a thing or two about education, food deserts, all of those issues. His company, I think it's called Black Capital, is an investor. And so he's a great evangelist and apostle for this brand. So the, the brand, you talked about learnings from uh, WWE, the brand understands the importance of storytelling. Yeah, that's what I was just getting at, is that, that common yeah, theme. Yeah, here's another one. J.D. Vance, who wrote Hillbilly Elegy. Mm -hmm. He's an investor. He's a backer. He knows a thing or two about storytelling. He's got a, his book has been optioned by Netflix, and it's probably going to come out as a film this, this fall. Very cool. That's awesome. Let's, uh, let's back up a little bit, because I want to hear the story of how you got to App Harvest in the first place. What's the, uh, what's the story about, uh, about how you heard of it? Who, who recruited you? Let's just so in, in my role as, as managing director for the Nature Conservancy several years ago, I made it my business to know what guys like you, young guys, young women, women and men, uh, who are the conveners of thought leadership? So you hear about Davos, you hear about Aspen Ideas Festival. Who's curating content, thought leadership, social purpose conversations amongst young people, people in their 20s and 30s? There are two groups I'm fans of, Summit Series and another group called Nexus. They both kind of curate conferences around the world where people in their 20s and 30s talk about making this a better world. Summit is known for its cruises. So the day after the election, I was on a cruise out of Miami, the 2016 election, and I bumped into Jonathan. And we became fast friends over that three-day cruise. And, and guess what? It was the day after the election. There were a lot of disappointed people on that cruise. And I think the good news is everyone came away thinking, how can I do more to make this a better world? And Jonathan back then was in the solar space. And he told me, you know, Jeff, I have to find my bigger purpose. That was in November. And then we reconnected in January and said, I think I've found it. I want to, I have this vision to create these, this, this uh, portfolio of high-tech greenhouses throughout the Appalachian region. Number one, to reinvent ag. But number two, 
to accelerate growth in Appalachia. So I've been all in on this since Jonathan and I met in November and when he articulated his vision in January. That seems like the common theme of that is just storytelling. And you mentioned how good of a storyteller Jonathan is. It sounds like he kind of really came in and sold you on the idea of app harvest and then kind he of sells everybody on the yeah, idea. Yeah, I mean, of when harvest. he came in, I remember the first time we sat down with Jonathan. You think this setup's good. You should have seen the setup when oh, we first man. interviewed Jonathan. It was a little one single mic in the middle of the table. And it was, it was very low production, but I remember him coming in and sitting in that conference room and hearing the passion that he spoke oh, yeah. with and talking about this. So I'm born and raised in Kentucky and hearing how he wanted to change this region just got me so excited. So I, I feel like he probably sparked that same kind of thing. He, he, he does in everybody. And again, because I was at the Nature Conservancy and, I, and because I deeply feel, you know, forget all the, the, the partisan bullshit about climate change. In my job at the Nature Conservancy, I was looking for storytelling that could cross the aisle. Because again, my fundamental premise is these conversations should not be owned or captured by anybody. Yeah, They're for everybody. And when you've got a guy who was in DC doing solar from Kentucky talking about how to bring jobs and innovation and technology to the region, a region that not enough people talk about Appalachia, I was all in. Yeah, and so you're from Brooklyn. Correct. You uh, had never been, you mentioned you've never been to a lake house like You're this. You're smiling, brother. Are you laughing at me? No, I'm not laughing at <laughs> no you. Way. I'm, I'm leading up to the question. I'm laughing because I know what question I'm about to ask. What, what's your thoughts on Kentucky so far? And... You know, I've, been, I've been here a couple of times, and uh, the first thought is the people are very warm. Not that New Yorkers are not warm. New Yorkers don't hate on me. <laughs> but the people here are very warm, uh, very uh, inviting. And the second thought is that... Um, yeah, I don't want to call it Brooklyn S, but I love entrepreneurial energy. And when I come here, when I'm talking to you guys, or when I talk to the folks from New Frontier, I talk to the App Harvest team, some of their new employees, some of their older employees, there's a sense that something is happening here. We feel it. And I like that. You big feel time. it, right? Absolutely. We feel it big yeah. time. We're yeah. right in the middle of it. And yeah. I was smiling partly because I wanted to ask the question as well. You know, what stereotypes have you debunked about Kentucky, if you had any, oh, I can't or have heard that. any, <laughs> before you got here? Have I you debunked any that. yet? No? No, uh, uh, we wear shoes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't have any preconceptions. Look, in an, in most jobs I have, I've had. I travel every week. I'm yeah. everywhere, right? So uh, I don't have that many preconceptions. It, my preconceptions would be around business and the notion of tech startups. Yeah. And what what the uh, what the how is the economy evolving? And I didn't. I didn't have any negative stereotypes. I just know in my travels, right, you see, uh, what's the good, I lived in Philly for years. And Philly was overshadowed by Silicon Valley, Washington, D.C., New York, and the, uh, I forget what they call it, but the tech corridor in Boston, right? And then at some point, Philly caught fire and it started to be known for tech startups, et cetera. So, uh, I didn't have preconceptions of Kentucky so much as a, as a sense of there's some areas I know of in the country, like Austin, right? It's going on in Austin, right? Up. Right, right. You guys are smiling about that. Music, tastemakers, branding, technology, right? Yeah. And I've probably been out here three or four times now, and every time I come out here, I get a greater sense that it's getting that same kind of vibe. Oh, yeah. Young musicians, artist community, technology startups and innovation yep we feel it we're right in the middle of it that's part of our mission is to you know bring light to that right sure. 
So let's, uh, you know, you started speaking a little bit earlier about, you know, part of your goal with, with App Harvest and wanted to just kind of preface this with what's your actual job at App Harvest and, and what's your role and job description? So uh, I'm the chief marketing officer for App Harvest. And my job is to keep up with Jonathan's ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonathan is a natural marketer, right? And what he gets is he, he's got a brilliant ability to synthesize and connect the business aspects, right? He's got to make money, got to get distribution, got to build these things. And he's got an intuitive sense of, hey, how do we work with country music stars? How do we work with the University of Kentucky? How do we work, you know, if, if Kevin Johnson is an investor and he's associated with the NBA, how do we make that happen? How do we leverage the fact that University of Kentucky has 29, 29 alumni in the NBA? Uh, the NBA is in urban markets. We have problems with food deserts, food, nutrition. So he sees those connections just as I do. And so uh, my job is to tell this story. My job is to make sure that when we get distribution in major retailers that we leverage that, right? When I was at... Nature Conservancy, we did deals with Whole Foods. We would get different Whole Foods regions to promote Earth Day, right, during the month of April. Well, you know, if we do a deal with Kroger or Walmart or Target, I would love to see them, Jonathan and I would love to see them, activate our brand in store to tell the story of delicious um, green, greenhouse-grown tomatoes that use 90% less water. Yeah, and, you know, when I first met, Jonathan, we had Amy Samples on here as well. What I was blown away by and just really appreciated that App Harvest has been doing is building an ecosystem. And you mentioned it there. It's ecosystem network, very similar terms here. Um, and just bringing in the education, both the universities, the high schools, the grade schools, bringing in local nonprofits, you know, all of that builds upon itself. And, you know, you mentioned bringing in some of these other brands and, and you know, influencers. I think it all just, it makes a ton of sense. And, um, I've been impressed with it from the first time, you know, we, yeah, we started so, talking with Amy and, and, and Jonathan. We got to talk about it with the New Frontier guys. You know, partnering with a brand yeah. that is so passionate about Appalachia, it just kind of spreads the message and you have all these different channels that kind of compounds upon itself. Compounds then, the story. Yeah, compounds yeah. the story. Um, what I kind of want to dive into is, so you came from uh, the Nature Conservancy and you're talking about Whole Foods and working with all these different places. What are people in that kind of industry saying about App Harvest? Are you hearing any kind of chatter about what's going on in this in this realm that App Harvest is operating? operating. Yeah, I, I think it's too early to tell. I mean, we're very humble in acknowledging that, you know, there's all this chatter. We haven't sold our first tomato, right? So I think some people will say, uh, I'm holding my, I'm reserving my opinion until they're in a actual retail store and they're selling. But on the on the science side, on the analytics side, there's wholesale recognition that if you're trying to feed 9 billion people globally, we need as many tools, as many options to do that. And certainly controlled environmental ag is one of those options. Now, it hasn't been adopted in the U.S. as much as several of us would like to see. This will be one of the largest trials, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, launches of that technology. And I think people will watch and see how successful we are. And they will get it. The Netherlands has 25,000 acres of these greenhouses, 25,000. The U.S. has probably under 1,000. This one project, while it's humongous, is only 60 acres. But in a way, we have to deliver, right? What, what Jonathan runs around reminding everybody every day, you know, we got to open up. We got we to gotta prove the concept, 
right? So I think people in the industry under get it intellectually, but until you scale, right? You know, our, our promise is to, to sell 40 million pounds of tomatoes. Until we deliver that, you know, if, if I'm on the outside looking in, I'm like, nice idea, prove it. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I'll kind of off the back of that question, who are you guys primarily marketing to right now? Is it general public? Is it your future customers? Is it uh, investors? Talk about, well, well, I'm so, sure it's a mix. So it's, it's all of the above. Look, the, you know, job one is to get the capital to be able to do the construction. I think for the most part, you can check that box. Job two is to reach out to distributors and retailers. The good news is we're partners with a group out of Canada, Master Nardi, who is massive in this space. And it's their job with us, but it's more on them to get us distribution into the retailers. And then look, why wouldn't we wait to begin telling our story to consumers, right? If you've seen the press we've gotten, you can talk, call it business press, Forbes and Wall Street Journal, and, and then New York Times is, 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 is consumer, and, and 60 Minutes is consumer. So the good news is we seem to have a story that people want to hear more about based on the press we've gotten. And trust me, if 60 Minutes wants to do a report or New York Times wants to do a report, we're not going to say we're not going to talk to you because we haven't sold our first tomato. Okay, so to answer your question, all of these audiences are the target. Over time, you shift from B2B financial to B2C as tomatoes are being sold in retail. I mean, you know, you don't bring Martha Stewart onto your board if you don't plan on establishing your brand at retail. Yeah, we'll get to Martha Stewart. We want to touch on that here and here in a bit. I asked her to stop in, but I don't know if she's going to. Oh out. man, she that would have been awesome. <laughs> she would have loved this. What uh, What do your retail customers and the wholesalers care about um, that you guys are selling? And what's What's the big differentiator between I mean, you guys and what traditional farms are selling? And what's that message you guys are giving yeah, them to yeah, get to them be, to buy in? Yeah, to be clear, we haven't had those conversations oh, okay. because Masternardi, the wholesaler, has those conversations, right? Got it. But but the hope. The hope is that if you're an American retailer, if you're Walmart, if you're Costco, if you're Whole Foods or Kroger, the hope is that right now a lot of their vegetables are foreign imports. From Mexico. Correct. Yeah. And the hope is that they would want to build up U.S. food dependence, right? So if I'm a buyer at Whole Foods, do I want a tomato that's been trucked in several days? Or do I want a tomato that is reaching my stores in one day? Yeah, okay. and Jonathan mentioned that when it comes days from days when it's you know picked off can't the ground, be great. The nutrients, you know, the nutrients aren't the same. Yeah, can't be great. Number two, we know that some of these markets like Mexico uh, have a history. I don't know today, but have a history of using pesticides and pesticides that are chemical and aren't good for you. And we will not be using those pesticides. So that's the second benefit. A third benefit is versus open field agriculture. We use 90% less water. So look at the fires out west. Look at climate change. And where do you want to be growing your food, right? You want to be growing it in Kentucky, which is water rich. And you want to be growing it in a controlled ag facility that uses 90% water in an era where uh, there's continuing stress on water systems around the country. So we hope that retailers will care about these things. It's It remains to be seen, but that is the business plan and that is the branding differentiation. I mean, that seems almost as much the consumer choice as well because consumer preferences are definitely shifting towards 
more environmentally conscious, uh, you know, uh, production of their food. And if you have a brand like App Harvest where you guys have, you're essentially laying the foundation of, of all of this messaging saying, you know, we need more, more food production by the year 2050 or else, you know, half of the world is going to be, whatever the statistic is, is going to be hurting, you know, not having enough food. And you guys are essentially building that base. And then when it finally gets there, I feel like the, the retailers are not going to have any choice except to fulfill those, the demands of the consumers that are looking to make that switch into uh, more environmentally conscious production. One other big differentiator is we're a benefit corp and a B corp, which means legally and from a government structure, this business and this brand is committed to social purpose. And you'd like to think all companies, you'd like to think capitalism is about doing the right thing for your shareholders, your employees, and your community. But sadly, that's not necessarily the case. Now, I don't have the data, but I will tell you, uh, we feel relative to most open field ag providers and relative to most controlled ag providers, we will be best in class when it comes to how we treat our employees, including healthcare, vacation. We're gearing them all up. Like, like we, we love our brand. We're partners with New Frontier. We're going to make sure they're all pimped out, right, with, with the merchandise, et cetera. We're looking for... You're in good hands there. Yeah, we're looking for partners to do that. So, so the way we treat our employees will be a differentiator. Uh, the fact that we're a B Corp and we will, we will employ ESG, which is about uh, environmental and social and government standards, uh, we, will, we, are a, we are a purpose-driven organization, and we're proud of it. We live and breathe it. Um, uh, we will care about health, right? You know, we, we haven't quite, kind, quite built out the narrative around this, but Jonathan is a vegan. The, one of the primary investors and board members, Jeff Ubbin, is a vegan. So this brand wants to talk, right? We are pro-vegetable. We're pro-nutrition. We're pro-good health. And, you know, COVID, quite frankly, has shone a light. I mean, how many times have you heard the word comorbidity? How many times have you heard the word pre-existing con conditions? And if you guys haven't seen, there's a brilliant documentary called Game Changers about how athletes, elite athletes, when you scientifically put them on a plant-based diet, they perform better than a meat protein diet, right? And that goes against what people think about, but it's true. So the other part of this brand is we care deeply that Americans eat more vegetables. We care deeply that Americans focus as much on preventative as they do treatment, right? And especially when you look in places like Appalachia and other regions that suffer from obesity, heart disease, diabetes, over time, we're going to work with our retail partners to advocate for better diets. Yeah, yeah, it's all very, very important. And you know, you you did it there. It just is coming naturally throughout this conversation, which is storytelling. I want to read a quote. Um, I've got some quotes picked out that I've picked out from uh, some of your PR. Quote is: "The region, which was previously known for its booming coal industry that brought power to the nation, is now helping shape the history of this nation once again through food." That's a four. That's from a Forbes article. Um, we've been talking about storytelling, and in your opinion, let's dive into the details of storytelling. What makes a good storyteller, and what are some of the details it, it takes to tell a good story? You know, you've been saying that Jonathan's a great storyteller. You obviously are Vince McMahon. What are some of those traits that lead somebody the, to the be a great storyteller? The word that comes to me over and over again, as you were talking, is authenticity. You can't fake your way. You can't be bullshit, right? And so, you have to care. Right, you, you can deliver whatever line you want, 
the consumer and consumers are very discriminating, right? So, and, and look, in, in marketing, you always talk about this, that don't, don't claim a line, don't claim a brand positioning if you can't deliver it. And one of the things I always do in my work in marketing is I'm always um, very close to human resources because what you want to make sure is the line you tell the public, you want to make sure your employees believe it, right? If not, you have immediate dissonance. Uh, I can tell you with this staff, and we're growing every day, the staff believes in the vision. But the number one word I would tell you that makes a good story is, is authenticity. The other word or the other concept I will tell you is being able to walk in the shoes of your customers, right? The people you're trying to deliver that message to. You know, I didn't grow up poor, but I, I grew up uh, meager, right? And look, you're, you're an immigrant. I always tell people, you know, you, you know, a lot of immigrant cultures, like one spouse goes over, establishes a beachhead, then they bring the rest of the family. So maybe this family is separated for six months to a year while the, the one spouse in the new country builds some income, finds a place, brings them over. And then you, you live in a kind of a shitty place to start and then a less shitty place and then you get a better place, et cetera. And so um, your ability to relate to that, like I, that, will, that will always be with me. The notion of being an immigrant coming into this country. I was born in Barbados. I, I left there when I was three. But I remember every stage of that development in my life, right? And I carry that through my life. I, I do well right now, thankfully. I've worked hard and I've had some lucky breaks. But, but the ability to walk in the shoes of the customers you're trying to reach, and it could be customers in Appalachia or customers in Detroit. I relate. I relate, right? So, so I think, you know, a lot of this, again, is, is, is authenticity and being able to empathize with the people you're trying to reach. And yeah, that kind of leads into this next quote that we've got here. Talking about authenticity, this is kind of more centered around, you know, getting in the perspective of a future world. So this quote here says, by 2050, we're going to need 70% more food. Uh, Berkeley says we'll need two planet Earths uh, to have enough land and fresh water to produce that food. We've got the United Nations saying we have 60 years of topsoil left before topsoil is degraded to a point uh, to where it's not going to be very fertile. And I hear that, and that freaks me out really bad. And I don't, I don't, I'm trying to relate that to authenticity. That's just, I feel like getting everyone on the same page about the urgency that we need to be working on this problem with has a very authentic base to it of saying we need to all come together and work together and solve this problem. Um, so, I mean, what does it take to, to get people in gear, to get behind a brand like this and and solve this problem because you guys are tackling a huge yeah. issue here. And I mean, it took the Netherlands, I read in that article, it took famine in the Netherlands to get people to realize the severity of it. And we don't obviously don't want that. We want to get, you know, prepared for this before that happens. But, you know, what are you guys doing to kind of get a sense of urgency out there? Yeah, so uh, the, the macro point is that every day, every day, there are examples that we should be able to point to about the impacts of climate change and the impacts of food insecurity. So COVID, how many pictures did we all see of people lined up for food banks? With COVID, how many pictures did we see of you're a farmer, you're a smallish farmer, you're not an industrial farmer, 70% of your revenue was from restaurants, 70%. Now restaurants are closed April, May, and you're dumping crops because you have no demand. 
How screwed up is that? So you see a picture of a half a mile long line of people trying to get food from a food bank because they don't have money to get groceries. And then you see a farmer dumping food. What does that say? Our food system, I won't call it busted, but it needs help, right? That's what that says. And then uh, again, COVID, you hear about comorbidity and they tell you what's the what's the one of the top predictors of death rates from covid respiratory issues some of which are preventable and obesity a lot of which is preventable diet okay then fast forward so that was the that was a narrative april may june july what's the narrative now fires out west because of heat and stress and lack of rain and, and depleted water tables. So what we have to be smart about, people may not listen to a scientist talking about climate change. They'll listen to their weatherman talking about flooding, flooding in areas that didn't used to flood, talking about areas that are over 100 degrees that never used to be. So we need to figure out a way to make the connection between what we're doing and these events that people see and touch every day. I think a mistake the environmental community made years ago is talking about climate change as a 50,000-foot thing, this thing out there, way off, not here today, but 2030, 2040, 2050. It's here now. It's here now. So back to storytelling, we need to be pragmatic, authentic storytellers that look outside of ourselves, like COVID or fires, to tell stories that relate back to our vision for the world. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, let's dive into some of the growth that's happening just recently at, at App Harvest. There's some amazing things you guys have been announcing, fundraising rounds. Um, but before we get to that, one quick question is, you know, who are you guys competing with? Who who do you guys look at in the in, in the space? Obviously, uh, they have probably their best answer is you're not competing with anybody because you're trying to bring up the entire system. But if you're looking at, if you had to name somebody. Well, there's no question that, you know, um, we don't think about domestic growers as our competitor. We're concerned about the fact that the U.S. relies anywhere from 40 to 70 percent of our vegetables, depending on the type of vegetable, from Mexico. Well, what does that mean? It's not about a foreign country. It's about trucking all the way from Mexico to here, right? And if you're a foodie, if you care about good food, if you care about transportation costs, right, why do you want to put something on a truck that's going to travel, I don't know, three, four, five days to get to the East Coast, certainly, versus... You know, one of the reasons why App Harvest is anchored in Kentucky, we can reach 70% of the U.S. in one day. So, again, our issue is not with uh, a local farmer in Kentucky or Tennessee or West Virginia. Our issue is foreign imports that, by the way, take longer to get here, which means they use energy, more energy to get here. Invariably, they're using pesticides and a lot of them, a lot of them. Um. And look, I don't have the data in front of me, but I, I, I believe the way we treat our workers will be better than the way we treat their workers. So that's more kind of the, the, the issue that we have. And by the way, they're the largest, they have the largest market share, right? So again, a local Kentucky farmer, a local Tennessee farmer isn't creating the same kind of volume that's coming out of Mexico. Yeah. If we want to gain market share, 
we need to take it out of those guys. Yeah. And I asked that question because you're leading into it. You know, you guys are trying to gain this market share and own this market share. And you guys are doing some amazing things to do that. You raised $150 million and you brought up Martha, Martha Stewart earlier. You guys are building out your board. Talk a bit about your board and how you're bringing that together right now. Yeah. So, so you know, really the board is Jonathan's bailiwick. I just see it. I observe it as you do. But we have some amazing people on our board. Like I said, J.D. Vance, Martha Stewart. Uh, uh, wait till... You know, we have tomatoes out there, and Martha can talk about them. Delicious tomatoes grown with 90% less water, grown 365 days a year. Uh, at the end of the day, this brand is about food, right? It's about cooking. It's about jo enjoying tomatoes, you know, and ultimately down the road, tomato soup and tomato paste and ketchup and all of it. So um, uh, the board are fantastic. They're very supportive of, of Jonathan. They're all visionaries in their own way, and they believe. I mean, they could deliver this, the, the message I'm delivering better than I, right? Because they're investing in it, right? They're putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah, makes sense. Um, talk about, you know, David Lee and, and Impossible Foods and what he brings to the table. Yeah, so, you know, we think a lot about disruptors, right? Tesla's a disruptor. Impossible is a disruptor. So we, we feel we're mission aligned with Impossible, they want to provide options to consumers that make consumers healthier, right? Because you're not eating as much animal-based uh, protein, animal-based food, and it's good for the planet, right? So, so our missions are very much aligned. And in business practices, they're very much an innovator. We're very much an innovator. So, yeah, we welcome having somebody like David on our board. And by the way, they've crushed it with distribution, right? And distribution will be the key to our success. So we see a lot of similarities, and we just want to learn from them. Yeah. So, you know, we never try to really get too political on, on our show, and this isn't necessarily a political question, but where is the federal government in terms of supporting project like, projects like this? And maybe where is the Trump administration? I feel like, you know, especially this part of the country, a country that had a lot of those coal jobs and that was really kind of known as salt of the earth, and you guys are bringing more jobs back to it. It seems like kind of a twofold um, no-brainer to support this kind of project. What are you guys seeing in that in that area? Yeah, I can't talk to the feds because I don't talk to the feds. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I literally don't. Yeah. I can tell you the governor here has been fantastic. Yeah. Right? So if the governor is any indication, as we begin to roll tomatoes out and have a more, uh, m uh, more uh, evidence behind our story, I'm hopeful about conversations that we'll have with the federal government. I think the big ask of the feds ultimately is going to be just as the solar industry was built on investment tax credits, we have a vision, an early vision, uh, but we'd like to see the government lean in on this industry, not just for us. Look, you know, remember I said there are 25,000 acres of controlled environmental ag in the Netherlands. There's under 1,000 in the U.S., so we see huge opportunity for the category, not just the brand. And so our wish for the feds is that they would embrace this technology. They would say, look, we, we want as many labs on how to optimize food production in the U.S. as possible. We see this as one lane. We th see this as a strong lane. And we want to figure out how to pull down federal dollars to drive this sector. But again, I don't think we've really had those conversations. with. Makes sense. Still early. Um, all right. We always try to end on yeah, a How many forward. questions do you guys have? We got have, last man. one. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> last one. Okay, last one. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> we always try to end on a forward-looking statement. 
On we always who? try to on a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statement. So it's probably harder for some of our other guests to answer this question because they're not building something so massive at the scale you guys are and have so much of a vision as you guys have. But as somebody new to this company, and I'm sure that has you know heard Jonathan's story and have studied this company, and you guys you have a great passion for this company, obviously because you're here. Where do you see this company being in 10 years? You know, I when I think of this question, I think of when Elon Musk was building Tesla. He knew in 10 years what he wanted it to be, and he would be able to talk about that pretty, very easily. But what's that message that you guys are going to tell people well, in I 10 years? Well, I appreciate it, but I'm no here. Elon Musk. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There, right? No, I, I, look, there are three pillars to what we're doing. Number one is we want to help to reinvent and redefine ag, both here and globally. So the aspiration is global. The aspiration is there will always be a place for open field agriculture, but increasingly, we want people focused on controlled environmental ag in the U.S. and around the world. How do we feed 9 billion people? So that's one aspiration. And so with regards to that one, we'd like to be a thought leader in educating the world on how to build these greenhouses and how to execute against them. That's number one. Number two, 10-year vision. We want Kentucky and this region to be known for innovation entrepreneurship, and especially in controlled environmental life. We want it to be a hotbed. Uh, Northern Virginia, no one knew it. Then you had AOL, and then you had literally dozens of companies crop up around AOL. So we see a bright future for eastern Kentucky, and we see a bright future for the region, Appalachia, where it becomes known for engineers and workers and technology and being the breadbasket of this country with regards to food produced from controlled environmental act region. Third, health. We want to bend the arc of food deserts and kids growing up uh, overly focused on fast food, overly focused on bad eating habits. We'd love to ultimately build an army of influencers, musicians, artists, MBA athletes, college athletes that care about better nutrition and are telling America to eat their vegetables. And in 10 years, we'd love to have moved the needle on that. And again, it's less us, but we want to be part of that conversation. And we want to use our platform, be it Kevin Johnson or Martha Stewart or J.D. Vance. We want to be able to use the folks that know us and believe in our vision to evangelize for a better future in this country, anchored in better nutrition and eating your vegetables.